the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. the program. It's the Wednesday edition of the Words of Standing for Life. I love the way the announcer, whose name, by the way, is John White, who just said, and how to apply the word in your daily life. Only he said it about four octaves lower than that. That's really what this program is all about. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Fall in love with the Bible. You will fall in love with Jesus. We promise. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can also email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can send them in to VF2 free mobile apps, our free mobile app, the Calvary Chapel of San Antonio app, or KSLR's mobile app, which makes it really easy and safer if you're driving to send in a question. Just hit the banner that says the word to stand on for life. You'll see my face, and you will be connected to the studio producer, and we would love your live calls. One more time, 340-9585. Well, because it's Wednesday here tonight uh, at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is our Old Testament Bible study night, 1 Samuel. Uh, We're going to finish chapter 2 and do the first 10 verses of chapter 3. And it really gets exciting now. We're going to talk about the call of God in our lives tonight and next week, by the way. Uh, We all want to hear what the voice of God is. We want to hear what the will of God is. And we're going to hear that tonight uh, in the calling of Samuel. What a great, great Bible study. Uh, Sad one from Eli's perspective, but a really, really uh, important study. Uh, for those of us in these last days in the New Testament. So that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. That also means tomorrow Paula will be live in studio with us, of course, on the date day edition of the program. Ladies, we've had some really um, heart-wrenching questions that have been sent in. So a good program. You can pray for us. But at the same time, if there's anything you need, encouragement or answers tomorrow with Paula is the day. Let's go right to the phone lines and talk with Joshua from Granite Shoals, Texas. Joshua, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Uh, I have a question in regards to, uh, like, stock investing and investing in general as it relates to uh, gambling. Uh, My wife believes investing in the stock is gambling. And I kind of see her point, but I kind of want to know your take on this. And I'll just listen on the air. Okay, Joshua, thank you very, very much. What a great question. I haven't had that one before. Uh, it's it's certainly taking a gamble, but I don't think it's gambling, Joshua. It's business. Um, um, I think we have to be wise. Let me say, first of all, for every Christian, uh, business decisions, investment decisions ought to be bathed in prayer. You know, the Lord knows uh, things that are going to happen that we don't know are going to happen. And there's a lot of times when apparently for no reason at all, he'll th- sort of throw up a, a, a caution flag or a, a red light, don't go there. And and we need to listen. Our money belongs to him. Uh, we want to be good stewards of that money. And so the first thing that we ought always to do is 
consult him in prayer. Uh, and when I say consult him in prayer, ask for wisdom, ask for direction, but also be willing to say, Lord, I want what you want. So if, if you want to put a big stop on this, I'm fine with that. Your will, not my will be done. And I believe, Joshua, with all of my heart that... that um, God will give you pretty clear direction. I, I, again, he's not going to shout or send a skywriter uh, to tell you what to do. But uh, uh, these are decisions that need to be bathed in prayer. And especially in view of the way your wife feels about it, uh, I wouldn't do anything unless the two of you were in agreement, unless these things have been bathed in prayer by both of you, and that you could walk together. There's a really, really good question here, uh, sort of a, a bigger question uh, in this area of, of uh, investing that Joshua uh, brought to us today. Um, you know, husbands and wives are partners. They're partners in ministry, they're partners in life, they're partners in everything. Uh, I can't do what I do without Paula. Paula can't do what she does without me. We need one another. And I want to be sure that whatever decisions I make are, one, bathed in prayer, and I'm doing what I think the Lord wants. But two, I believe with all of my heart that I need Paula's approval. And I don't mean permission. But I need her partnership. I need her cooperation so that we're in these things together. And Joshua, the reason this applies to you and to your wife is because if you were to make an investment, investing is risky. Don't let anybody convince you otherwise. Investing, especially if you're talking about doing it yourself, day trading, those kind of things. Um, if, if everything goes wrong, you don't want your wife to be able to come back later and say, see, I knew you were going to lose our money, or I knew we shouldn't have done this. We do things together. And here's what we can do. We can trust that the Lord is going to move on your wife's heart. So here's what I would do if I were in your situation. If I found what I thought was a good investment, I would ask my wife to prayerfully consider whether or not she should do this with me. I wouldn't do it if she said no. I wouldn't do it if she wasn't sure. But here's the thing. If it's a good investment, God can move her heart just as he moved yours. And so when she comes to you and said, you know, I prayed about this and I believe that the Lord has spoken to my heart or I was in the word today and the Lord said I could trust you on this or the Lord said that, that uh, this, is, this is something that's okay for us to do. But don't do anything that would violate her conscience. Don't do anything that she's not in agreement with, remembering that you two are one flesh. There have been, Joshua, uh, about... I'm going, to, I'm going to be very general because I can't be specific. I'm too old to remember that clearly. But there have been 10 or 12 things over my years here as a pastor that uh, Paula kind of said, you know, I'm not sure. And I put the brakes on. And it's easy to, to, to get upset. Well, you know, I'm God's speaking to my heart. I know this is what he wants me to do. But here's what I've learned. That for me in my life, Paula is the, 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 the traffic signal. She's the green light. She's the yellow light. Caution. She's the, the red light, stoplight. And all I do is wait for her to say that um, um, she's okay with this. Let's, let's do this. And uh, she's never once, and I've made some bad decisions, but she's never once come and said, well, I knew we shouldn't do that because we went into these things in partnership. So I hope that principle applies uh, to your situation, Joshua. Day trading is not, or stock investing is not gambling in the sense that going to the racetrack or playing poker is gambling. Uh, at the same time, uh, it is definitely a gamble, and that's why it needs to be bathed in prayer. So Joshua from Granite Shoals, west of Marble Falls, thank you very much for your call. I appreciate it more than you know. Uh, here is a question that came from Misty from our mobile app. Hi, Pastor Ron. This is Misty sitting in a waiting room reading Mary's song in Luke chapter 1, 51b. Could you explain what he has scattered the proud in their inmost thought means? And then Misty says, thank you. Uh, Misty, I can. Now, what you need to do is read the context. The, the, by, the verses, of course, are not inspired by God. So she's making a contrast. He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And the next verse says, he's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. So she, Mary is, is giving thanks to God. This is her Magnificat. And she's giving thanks to God, honoring God for uh, lifting her uh, in her humble state into this position of honor and privilege. Uh, he can do that, and her song of praise is 
he can do that, but at the same time, those who are proud in their inmost thoughts, those who think I've got it under control, or I can do this on my own, um, or rulers who think they're above the, the rule of God, he can bring them down, but the truly humble, he will exalt. So that's what he what she means in that. And this is just a, a song of praise, acknowledging the goodness and the fairness, the justice and the consideration of God. He looks upon those who are humble in heart, a contrite spirit, a broken heart. God exalts those who humble themselves. Thank you, Misty. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to... Let me see. The next question here is... having trouble with my clicker here today. From James from our email inbox. James says, I have a friend who claims to have had prophetic dreams. She says she's had dreams before that have come true. I don't know what to say to this. It sounds wrong. What I mean is I don't think she could have had prophetic dreams. We talk about the gift of prophecy, but that's not telling the future. And by the way, James, you have a perfect handle on this. Um, then he continues, that doesn't happen anymore. There are no more prophets. Not that she's claiming to be a prophet, but the fact that she still claims to have had dreams that came true, I'm concerned. I don't know what to say to her. She firmly believes it's true. What should I say? James, as long as she doesn't claim to be a prophetess, as long as she isn't claiming uh, a special connection with God that gives her the right to tell the future for other people, uh, this is a good thing. My wife has dreams. Um, we all have dreams. Uh, Paula has had a bunch of dreams that didn't come true, but God has given her um, quite a number of dreams and visions as she slept uh, that she would chronicle in her journals that really prepared her for what we were going to be doing next all the way from the time when she was praying for me before I got saved uh, to those really tumultuous days and weeks and months and even years uh, after I got saved when I was going through all kinds of changes and didn't know how to deal with things, the Lord would give her these dreams that came true so specifically. Um, and the Lord speaks to us in dreams. Uh, in the last days, your old men will uh, dream dreams. Uh, your young men will have visions. Um, that's from the prophet Joel. Um, dreams are one biblical way that God has communicated with people. Now, the way we know, James, if it was a dream that came from God, is that it comes true. Now, Paula never got up one time and said, I had a dream, this is what God says. Uh, we just kind of chronicled it. And we waited to see what the... Um, outcome of the dream was because as I've said First John 4 1 says test the spirits because not every spirit is from God so the fact that she had dreams that came true might be this is just one gift that the Lord has given her and essentially they, they equate to a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom James so it's not anything to be afraid of the thing that you have to be careful of and she sounds like she's got a perfect handle on this I'm not a prophet you know we can get proud and we can think God gives us answers and interpretations and other people come to us for interpretations of their dreams that's kind of nonsense so we don't want to do that but if God is going to speak to her in dreams, treasure that, value that, and be careful to take seriously everything that she says. I love the fact that the two of you will sit and talk about these things, but be open to the supernatural. The, the gifts of the Spirit are still for today, and God still does. He always has communicated to people through dreams. If the dreams get weird or if the dreams take the form of thus saith the Lord, those are the ones that you really have to be careful of. But uh, encourage her to grow in this. Encourage her to chronicle them. Uh, it's been for Paula and for me a great faith builder over the years to know for sure that, that God prepares us for things. He prepares us for things. And in Paula's case, uh, she suffered a lot of consequences for my sins in those early days. And the Lord gave her these dreams and visions in those dreams uh, that comforted her and prepared her. And even though in most of the cases we didn't have a full understanding of them for many, many years, what we do know happened is that they provided a source of comfort for her. 
at just the time that she needed it. So James, dreams are dreams are not a bad thing at all. Um, as long as she's got a good handle on it, it seems she does, no problem. Let's go to San Marcos, Texas, and talk with Jim now on line one. Hey, Pastor Ron, thanks for taking my call. My pleasure, Jim. I'm a I'm a public school teacher here, and uh, I've only been born again for about eight years. And uh, the frustration with uh, I try not to talk about politics as as much as possible. I try not to, but with most of us, we are required practically because we don't have have the money to send our kids to private school. Work we're required to send our kids to the public school. Um, and as a public school teacher, I'm in the belly of the beast. And uh, I've had a real hard time dealing with the lack of discipline and the vulgar and profanity and just the things that the kids have to be exposed to just because the, the standards have fallen, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years. And uh, as a public school teacher and as a Christian, I get frustrated with other uh, teachers who claim the faith and other uh, parents who claim to be of the faith. And I seem to be the only one speaking up and sometimes getting myself in trouble because I speak up about the injustices, about the about the things that are just so godless about our public schools. And there's so many of us that claim to be believers that are a part of the public schools, but we don't seem to have any effect on it. So I, don't, I know the answer isn't pulling all our kids out of public school because we need to be in that world, just not of the world. But I'm mm-hmm. so frustrated with it, and I would love to have some sort of groundswell of born-again believers say, look, our, our public schools need to be fixed. Uh, and there is a national debate about it right now. And, and me being a public school teacher, if I say anything in favor of vouchers, I'm considered a, a crazy man or something. But uh, So anyway, any, any biblical thoughts on that direction for parents and teachers and students in the public school system? And we're trying to live out our faith, and it is just so hard because we're, we're bombarded, bombarded with such godless stuff. Jim, I could I could go on for an hour. I won't do that, but I could go on and on and on. Uh, let me say first and foremost, thank you. God bless you um, for for being committed, for being dedicated, and for standing for your faith. You know the 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 parents and teachers that you minister with or serve with. Uh, that don't take a stand, Jesus has a word for them. He, it's lukewarm. Uh, a letter to Laodicea. And you know, the truth is, while we're not in the world, so many of us who are professing believers have been won over by this world. And the truth is, we're, we're, we're looking at things not from a godly perspective, but from the perspective of our circumstances or our environment, or from the perspective of just trying to, to, to go along, to get along. And God bless you for not doing that. Now, I don't think personally um, that politics has anything to do with this. I think this is just a matter of Christians who have to be brave enough and bold enough to take a stand and suffer whatever the consequences are. That doesn't mean you preach to everybody. That just means that that when, for instance, you're hearing filthy language or, or parents who are disengaged or teachers who claim to be Christians who are, who are misrepresenting the Lord, that you put your arm around them, you take them to the side and you say, you know what, I'm only talking to you like this because you are a believer brother or sister we shouldn't talk like this and you can quote scripture james out of the same mouth comes blessings and cursings brothers these things should not be and as you continue to take a stand for this jim god is using you to be a light in the middle of the darkness now here's the thing being a light in the darkness is uncomfortable it's certainly uncomfortable for those who are in the darkness because your light uh, offends them but it's also uncomfortable for you Here's something that we have to take to heart. Jesus said, blessed are you. Now the word means happy are you if you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Now what he didn't say, Jim, is that you would feel happy or that you would feel a, an overwhelming sense of, of sad. It's hard to take a stand. It's always been hard. Read Second Corinthians 11 and 12 and just kind of go through the experiences. The Apostle Paul, who was one of the greatest lights in history that he went through for standing for righteousness, and you begin to understand that this is the world that we live in. And instead of, I guess, being overwhelmed by the response of the world, or even saddened 
or feeling defeated even by the response of the people in this world, even those that are professing believers. Instead, be glad that God considered you worthy to be his partner in this ministry. You know, we have a free school here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio. This is our 17th year, uh, K through 12. Um, we have 135 kids. We could we have a five-year waiting list. Uh, we, we could have uh, a school of 1,000 kids or more very, very easily if we had the space. But because it's free, we don't have space. We can't afford to build a big building or anything like that. But here's the one thing that, that we're trying to do with these kids. We're trying to train them. Of course, we want to teach them to read and write and do math, and we want to teach them to use the English language so they can go communicate the gospel. But we're trying to teach them the value of being lights in the middle of darkness. They're all going to go to university where their faith is going to try to be stolen from them. We want them to be able to stand. And we're trying to prepare them for that moment when they take a stand for their faith and the world just kind of crashes down on them because of it. They'll be ready if they'll let God prepare them. Um, the same is true with you. You've been saved eight years. And people who probably profess faith for a lot longer than you, Jim, uh, aren't doing so well. So rather than focusing on them, just say this. Say, Jesus, help me finish well. And every person that disappoints you, commit in your heart to praying for them. Lift them before the Lord. Ask for personal revivals in their hearts. Lord, may they grow on fire for you. Jesus said that the lukewarm Christian, um, I'm paraphrasing, makes them sick. He wants to spit them out of his mouth. Jesus, would you get them on fire? He even said, Jim, Jesus did, that he'd rather they be cold or hot, just not somewhere in the middle. And the problem is, most of us were in that lukewarm spot in the middle. And Jim, you're not. Clearly, you're not. So God bless you for that. And what you're asking for, praying for, is is really for the hearts of Christians to be revived. That's not your job. That's God's job. So you keep standing for Jesus. You keep being that light. And you keep praying for those who aren't. Instead, as I said, of being disappointed by the way other people behave. Just commit those people to prayer and let the Lord get a hold of them. It's not Jim's job. It's Jesus's job to go win them over. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. Um, fight discouragement. First Corinthians 4, 2 ought to be sort of an anthem for you. It's required. Please note the force of the words. It's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. Required and must. No options. There's no easy outs. We're going to be in the fire. And you, Jim, are in the fire at a place where um, well, your presence, your light is desperately needed. And for you and those cohorts of yours who are standing for Jesus in public schools all over this nation, there's great rewards. And you're bringing a smile to the lips of the Lord often. You know, I'm not a big school voucher proponent either. That may sound strange because we have a school, a Christian school. And by the way, our Christian school, Jim, is not just for Christians. Um, it's an evangelistic school. We want people to come. We want them to get saved. We want to, Everything we do here is designed to save people. But, you know, charter schools aren't any more godly than public schools. Many times the quality of charter schools is inferior to the quality of even public schools. With home schools, we've seen some home schools that were great, and it depends entirely on the giftedness of the teacher. But, you know, just because you're mom or dad and you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a gifted teacher. And I don't think a lot of people recognize that. So that's why people like you, Jim, in public schools are so valuable. The Lord will use you. He'll keep using you. And perhaps he'll give you some direction. And maybe this angst that you're feeling is the beginning of God stirring a calling in your heart. It'd be a great thing to, to, to hear, Jim. Thank you for that. And I did go on too long for that. But thank you, Jim. I appreciate it very, very, very much. 
340. We're inside two minutes for this half hour. Uh, we'd love your live phone calls. Um, let me see if I got an inside two minute question. Yeah, here's one from Regina. She asks, is there a reason that music is the primary means of worship in the church? You know, it's just a cultural influence, Regina. It's not good or bad. But what we need to, to do is take a serious heart toward our, our worship and music. You know, I think too often it's become entertainment. Um, music we know stirs our emotions. Um, music is not good. It's not bad. It's just music. But when it's used to glorify God. So um, the reason is most churches in the West are non-liturgical. When I say most, there are still liturgical churches. But but we don't worship in ritual. I think what we're trying to do is worship in spirit and truth. And the music uh, is just one means. One of the things that we always need to remember is that in the Old Testament, whenever the worship is mentioned, somebody died. So whatever your means of worship, just make sure that you're dying to you every single day. Thanks, Regina. Hey, you can hear the music. We're at the end of the first half hour. That means only 30 minutes left to go. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. 340-9585. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the last 30 minutes of the wednesday edition of the program 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now i have to say this this is not an advertisement i don't do advertising but during the break, a commercial came on for Spada Santi, uh, Esther, who did the commercial, who did the, the voiceover. She's the owner of the program, Esther, uh, and her husband, John, come to our church. They're wonderful people. They've been such a blessing to, to, uh, to our church, to Paula and to me. Um, we have taken advantage of their services, and what a great, great spa they run. Really, really good people that love the Lord. So uh, I just had to say that. Here's a question from Anonymous from our mobile app. Pastor Ron, what is your opinion on church groups that practice for encounters with demon-possessed people? Groups that practice the whole power of Christ compels you thing. I know encounters with demon-possessed people happen all the time. They could happen to any of us, but do we prepare for that or just let God handle it when it comes up? What do we do? Anonymous, my opinion on those kind of things is that it's foolishness, it's silliness. Um, uh, I don't agree that we uh, encounter demon-possessed people all the time. Uh, encounters with demon-possessed people are exceptionally rare, and it's a good thing that they are. Uh, I have been um, I have been face-to-face with demon-possessed people several times uh, in my years as a Christian, and I can promise you it's not anything that anybody should look for. It's not anything that anybody should seek. Um, it is... The ugliness of spiritual warfare in ways that I can't even begin to describe. And I've got stories um, that would take too long to tell, but these are just not things that we should seek to engage. Um, the church groups that practice for encounters with demons are usually crazy charismatic churches. Remember when I say that. We are a charismatic church. I am a pastor who believes in the gifts of the Spirit, and we practice them. But when you get into this crazy charismatic nonsense, you go shouting at devils, I bind you in the name of Jesus. I take authority over you in the name of Jesus. All of that is nonsense, because if you're not right with Jesus, and I don't mean right in the sense that you're saved but I mean if your life isn't right with Jesus if the power of the spirit can't be resting upon you we can't just summon we can't sin and then just say oh well here's the demon for this person Jesus I need the power of the spirit power comes through relationship power comes through holy living power comes from being sanctified and growing not only in the knowledge of God but in the knowledge of his will and people in churches like this anonymous they don't know the Word of God well enough to, to, to go face-to-face with demons. 
this is just silliness that that gives people sort of a sense of mission. I don't understand. But here's what you should do every day. Get up talking to Jesus, walking with Jesus, and avoid at all costs any communication with the enemy, demons, the devil, um, any communication uh, unless God puts you in a place and then you need to know you're prepared for it. So we don't need to prepare for these things. The only preparation that we need is to be with Jesus. Now, we don't have to be afraid when these encounters come. And again, they're very, very, very rare. In other countries in the world, by the way, they're not rare at all. But in this country, where there's so much light, demon possession is very, very rare, and you'll encounter it uh, only, only, only on the rarest of occasions. Now, if you want to go minister in a nursing home, you'll encounter it. If you want to go minister uh, in a mental health facility, you will encounter it. Uh, If you want to do ministry to drug addicts or homeless people, you will encounter it for sure. Uh, But you're ready if you're with Jesus. But the idea that you go out and practice for encounters, you can't practice for an encounter with a demon. You can't practice for that kind of encounter. So uh, please be careful of those kind of things. Uh, I sense your wariness, and it is appropriately so. So Anonymous, I hope that answers your question as clearly as I can. Here is a question from Tom. Um, I'm going to edit the question a little bit because it's long, but it's a good question. Uh, As Christians, we want gay marriage to be no longer legal. It breaks God's heart. It's a perversion of marriage. Something wonderful created by God between one man and one woman. And one might hope that with this new administration, things that have been allowed to become law in the last eight years might be reversed. I don't know how possible it is, but I know for I, for one, think it would be right if gay marriage being legal was reversed and no longer legal. Here's the crux of his question. But should gay marriage be illegal? And then he says, yes, illegal because it's wrong in the eyes of the Lord. Tom, a couple of things, and there's a whole bunch more that, that really is all about the same thing. Um, th- this is not uh, a genie that's going to go back in the, bio, in, in the bottle. Uh, there isn't the popular support nor the desire. The United States is not a Christian country. The laws reflect the hearts of the people making those laws, and those hearts are far from God. There is no way to walk this back. Yes, we want gay marriage no longer to be legal. I'll explain why in a moment. Yes, it's a perversion of marriage. Having said that, uh, Tom, is it also not a perversion of marriage when we examine the divorce rate among Christian, so-called Christian marriages? That, too, is a perversion of the marriage contract. And I want us to be as outraged about that. Again, this genie's not going back in the bottle. We're not going to walk back uh, legal marriage between men and women of the same gender. Um, So here's what we do. We continue to be light. We continue to minister to. So should it be illegal, the answer is, I wish it was, but it's unenforceable. It's not something that we should even try to legislate. Now, no longer being legal is a whole different matter. Here's why legalizing gay marriage and the push, the legalized push uh, for transgender bathrooms and acceptance of, of the craziest kind of things, things that just a few years ago in this country's history, a few years ago, uh, would have been unthinkable. When we, by legislation, approve of something, it increases exponentially. I know I've said this before in the program, but in 1973, it was made a law that it was okay to kill babies. People say, well, abortions have been going on forever. Yeah, but not 65 million of them in this country. 65 million. Why? Because the government said it was okay, in effect, encouraging it. The same thing is now true, and we've seen in our short history uh, since that fateful day in June when the Supreme Court uh, said it was okay, 2015, um, said it was 
now a good thing, a, le- a legal thing, uh, something to be approved when men married men or women married women. And the explosion of gay marriages since is no accident. It's no coincidence. This gender confusion, um, uh, transgender confusion, all of that is going to increase and continue to increase. Why? Because our government has said stamp of approval. You know, probably, Tom, I don't know who you are, but, but uh, a lot of the people listening audience are too young to remember the good housekeeping stamp of approval. When In the day when I grew up on television commercials or in magazine advertisements, uh, they always had the good housekeeping stamp of approval to let you know that the product being advertised is good. Well, the government has given the house... Uh, the good housekeeping stamp of approval on things that God says are immoral, things that will result in eternity, separated from God. So now our battle call is not to change laws. We can't do that. But we need to change hearts. We don't do that by protesting against gay marriage. We don't do that by um, marching or take, putting signs up. We do that by sharing the love of Jesus Christ with everyone, including homosexuals and transgender people. Not to convert them, but to get them to fall in love with Jesus. And sadly, our church culture and I want to be fair, not much of our church culture, not all of it, certainly, has decided that the only effective way to speak our hearts is to point fingers at people and say, you're in sin, you need to repent. It's true, they're in sin, they need to repent, but that's the work of God. And our job is to show them the love of God, not by approving what they do. Don't misunderstand. If you've been listening to this program for a length of time, you know that I'm very, very direct about these things. I'm going to be teaching on this very thing for the next two Sundays in Romans chapter 1. Not just about this, but, but in large part about this issue. We need to have compassion on them. We need to introduce them to a God who is slow to anger, compassionate, and abounding in love. And if we'll do that, We'll win some hearts. Some hearts. But we're not going to walk back. The laws making these behaviors illegal is not something that's even in question. We who are believers need to hold on firmly to the hope that we have within us holding on to the truth, declaring it in love. And we need to be men and women who pray, not for enemies of our ministry, but for objects of our ministry. So it should not be illegal any more than people living together who aren't married are illegal. Let me say one more thing, Tom, and then I'll go into another question. For me, and this is just my own personal experience, One of the biggest tragedies inside the church is the number of Christians who are having sex with people they're not married to. Professing Christians come to church every week, people who live together, and you tell them, you know, God doesn't like that. You can't live together. And we have people that give their life to Jesus all the time. We say, okay, now you've you've got to stop living together. And sometimes they look at you like you're crazy. Well, what do you mean? How can that be wrong? We love each other. And too often, even in Christian homes, it's accepted because, well, you know, what else are you going to do? That, to me, brings God more pain. His own people, his own children, willfully sinning than the issue of those who don't belong to him, who are engaged in homosexual activity or legally married in gay marriage. Judgment begins at the house of God, Tom. We need never to forget that. Thank you for the question. Let's go to, well, here, Gavin called in. When a person dies, 
or there are two angels that pick up the individual. What happens when a person dies? Gavin, great question. Um, I don't know that there are two angels, but uh, we know that we're escorted into the presence of Jesus by an angel. Luke chapter 16, the story um, uh, is told about a real experience, two people who died. Um, uh, the angels take us to heaven to be in the presence of Jesus. Um, but I, I would imagine, I don't know this for fact, Gavin, because the Bible's silent on it, but I would imagine there are times when there's more than one, but I, I think one would be quite sufficient. Uh, the, the job of that angel is specifically to take us out of these old tents that die, and we instantly are then ushered into the presence of the Lord. That's what happens when a person dies. You know, Gavin, I do obviously a lot of funerals as a pastor. And when somebody is a believer, I know they're a believer, and they died, I always look at Roman, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 1, beginning in the verse, in the 10th verse, through about verse 18. And almost without exception, unless the Lord is really leading in a different direction, I always lead the funeral with that because I want the people who are there who love the person who's gone, the people who are hurting and grieving, I want them to be comforted by the experience that their dear departed is enjoying this moment. You know, funerals are so sad and people cry and our hearts hurt, and rightly so. But we need to understand that that our sadness is for us, not for the person who died. Because that person, I tell them, is looking into the face that's shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. Listening to a voice that sounds like many rushing waters, calling them by a name that they've never heard before, but a name they instantly recognize as theirs. Sort of like Jesus' pet name for them. And they instantly go into the presence of God. When this body gives out, it's just a tint. It's where the real you and the real me lives, Gavin. What happens next? is beyond glorious. Now, none of us like the prospect of dying. We don't like the process of dying. It frightens us. That's instinctively natural. But we take our last breath in this body, and instantly, I always say it this way, our next gasp of wonder is in the presence of Jesus. You see, we don't die because he died and was raised to life. We never die. We just move. We move from the old neighborhood to the new neighborhood. And it's a great neighborhood. So that's what happens. But yes, an angel um, will deliver us into the presence of God. Incidentally, Gavin, I have been there uh, several times uh, at the moment of death. And as I'm ministering to the person who is about to, to, to go see Jesus... Um, I always let them know what's going to happen. And often there are family members gathered around. I want them to know what's going to happen. Uh, what's going to happen is that at any moment an angel's going to appear. I said, we won't see the angel, but our loved one will. And the angel will simply sort of figuratively reach out his hand and, and take the, the, the real person out of that old, tired, worn-out body and instantly transport them in the presence of the Lord. And I have had the privilege of seeing a couple of uh, people's reactions when those angels showed up. Now, again, I didn't see the angels, so I don't want to be misunderstood. But I could see the look in the eyes. I could see the smile on the lips. I could see that, that momentary look of pure life just before the body gave out. And that was the angel saying, hey, time to go. It's always a good thing. We're sad, of course, but it's always a good thing. Thank you for the question, Gavin. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Drew. Uh, Ron, a question concerning the triune God. John 1.3, Colossians 1.16, and Hebrews 1.2 all say that Jesus, the Son, created the heavens and the earth. We know that Genesis 1.1 says that God did it in the plural sense. The word is Elohim. 
it's not a big deal to me, but perhaps young Christians reading the Bible for the first time can get confused when reading the previous verses and perhaps misunderstand and think that only Jesus created. I heard someone say this, the Father had the idea, the Son created, and the Holy Spirit gave life. That formula would indeed have all three involved in the creation and life. Could I have your thoughts, please? Love, Drew. Love, thanks for the question. We miss you, buddy. A um, couple of things. We, it's impossible for us to understand the unity of God. Jesus said, Father, I pray that they would be one as we are one. We don't understand. It's impossible for us to understand the oneness of God. He's the exact image, the exact representation, the radiance of the glory of God Jesus is. So the fact that they're distinct in their personhood doesn't diminish the fact that they are one in their wholeness. So when the Bible says, and I'm going to use another example for a moment, Drew, rather than creation, um, you can find places in the Bible where it says that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, that Jesus raised himself from the dead, and the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. So who did it? God did. The Spirit hovered over the waters. He was sort of the active force. I don't like the idea, uh, you know, the the, 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 the cute explanations. Father had the idea, the Son created, the Holy Spirit gave life. Um, Because you can't separate them in their unique oneness. So all three were involved in creation. All three were involved in restoration, in reconciliation. Uh, All three involved in every act that God does we see the distinction in the persons of God because Jesus came to reveal the Father to humans who could only receive that revelation from another human Jesus the human once Jesus left he said I'm going to send you another me and he will be in in you he will never leave you and when he comes, he will convict the world of righteousness, of sin, of righteousness and judgment. So there's different jobs, but all three are involved in their unique oneness. And I think that's the best way. You know, sometimes rather than endeavoring to understand through analogies or examples or illustrations, I think sometimes it's better just to wonder in awe at the majesty and the complexity of an infinite God. So, Drew, I hope that helps. Here is a question from another anonymous. Um, Have you heard of the Jesus Bible? And if so, what do you think of it? I have heard of it. Uh, It is a Bible that is geared toward uh, 9- to 12-year-olds. Uh, It's an NIV, and it's the 2011 edition of the NIV, so I would not be in favor of it. I do love the idea behind it. Uh, the idea is is look for Jesus on every page of the Bible. Uh, the, the story, Old Testament and New, is all and only about Jesus. For sure, I love that idea, that concept. But what I don't like about the Bible, other than the fact that it's, it's I think, an inferior translation uh, of, of what the manuscripts declare, I don't like the comments in it. Um, it's it's a Bible that uh, I know Max Lucado is involved in, and uh, Louis Giglio is or Giglio is in, involved in, uh, and uh, the the other two, uh, Ravi Zacharias, who I I adore. I love to listen to Ravi speak, um, uh, but I, I I don't like Bibles with comments on it or in it. I want the Bible to contain Bible. And that's why I'm not a big fan of study Bibles, but but this one even more so. Because what you've got is little sermons, little devotions, kind of stuck in between the pages. And uh, I think, um, please forgive me for, for, I I don't mean to sound too simplistic, but I think every minute that we have our Bibles open, we ought to be reading Bible and not commentary. So uh, I don't think there's any harm in the Bible. Um, I just think it's something that we need to be very careful of and really treasure, really cherish. What the Bible says is far more valuable than what anybody says about the Bible. Here's a question that was called in um, from Robert. He says, can a person who has been in the Lord for many years and failed God, can that person be restored? Robert, of course. 
glorious thing I get to say yes that's the easiest question I've had all day um, you know the story of the prodigal is 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 given to us to, to communicate the, the, the willingness the actual eagerness of God to forgive so of course a person can be restored it doesn't matter how many years they've been walking with the Lord and failed the Lord of course and I always here's my prayer for people that that really blow it Lord, when you restore them, restore them for more, not less ministry. I have friends of mine who who uh, were in the pastorate, men uh, who served the Lord faithfully for a lot of years, who blew it in the, the worst ways imaginable. And my prayer for them is always, Lord, restore them. The ministry will be different. But I pray for more, not less. More power, not less power. So yes, here's how you can be restored. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Here's the key, Robert. And purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Of course, and here's one other thing. While consequences linger, restoration is instant and complete. I'll also include infinite. No guilt necessary. Because when God is forgiven... Though your sins were as scarlet, they could be white as snow. Let's go very quickly inside. Oh, we don't have time to do that. Okay, I was going to say we had a call. Um, if you can call back tomorrow, Joe, that would be great. Uh, we just went inside the one-minute time. We don't have any more time for that. So thanks for tuning in today. Uh, Robert, if you're talking about yourself, if you failed, you serve a God who is so eager to forgive. A God who's so delighted you come running to him. There will be consequences. Believe me, there will be consequences. But the smile of Jesus will be yours once again. Walk with him. Talk to him. Enjoy the feeling all over again of being forgiven. God's not disappointed in you. He's not angry with you. He's just happy you're home. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in today. Remember, tomorrow, Paul will be live on the air with you on the Date Day Edition program. Tonight, 1 Samuel, the end of Chapter 2 and the beginning of Chapter 3. Great Bible studies. See you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.